Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. Psalm 122, stanzas 1 through 2. And I want to read it to you in the King James Version. Find the place in the Bible where that scripture is. Say amen. 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 If you're in Revelation, you're too far over. (laughs) It reads, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates. Old Jerusalem. I want to share from this passage these two stanzas of the 122nd Psalm. I want to encourage you to read the entire Psalm as you have opportunity. I want to share with you this morning about the worth of worship. This Psalm is one of 15 Psalms of ascent, or in some Bibles you might see the scripture degrees in the Psalter. Four of these ascent psalms, or songs of degree, were written by David, the shepherd boy, who became king of all Israel. Three times during the calendar year, pious Jews traveled to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice and worship. Jerusalem is 2,700 feet above sea level. And I vividly remember my first visit to the Holy City in 2016. Our group drove there, but in David's day, Jewish pilgrims from throughout the Palestinian Peninsula and beyond rode there on pack animals, and some walked the distance. This trip was dangerous and demanding. It was arduous and adverse. It was rough and it was risky. The author of Psalm 121 that precedes this psalm perhaps had this in mind when he wrote these words, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not spite thee by day, nor the moon by night. These Jewish pilgrims, these worshipers, they were motivated. They were inspired because of the worth, the value they ascribe to worship. The storied history of this church is a testament to the worth of worship. But more importantly, your presence, each of you, your presence here this morning at this worship celebration speaks volume. Worship is central to what we do as a believing community. Someone said the church grows larger through evangelism. 
The church grows deeper through discipleship. The church grows warmer, and I felt that warmth this morning when we came here, through fellowship. But the church grows stronger, stronger through worship. Because of the worth of worship, I have, I have First Baptist Church, Wright City, brothers and sisters, I have an expectation this morning. And that expectation is that I'm not going to have to drive back to O'Fallon in the same condition that I arrived here this morning. That something is going to happen in the midst of this experience of worship. And so when we look at this passage that I've shared with you and the larger context, there's three things that this text teaches us about the worth of worship. Would you like to know what they are? First of all, there's the character that encourages worship. The character that encourages worship. If you read too fast, you read these stanzas too fast, you'll miss it. The psalmist launches with these words. I was glad. I was glad. The Hebrew word translated glad here means rejoice or cause to rejoice or to be made merry or to brighten up. It's like what the psalmist says in one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise, all ye land. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. It's what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 26 and 8. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. So this first movement in the stanza, uh, stanza one, reflects the character quality that encourages our worship. Worship, let me say this to you, worship should never be a job. It should always be a joy. It should not be something we feel just obligated to do. We should always feel as if we can't wait to worship God and show him praise and thanksgiving for all that he's done in our lives. The three annual feasts that the law mandated all Jewish males to observe in the city of Jerusalem were joyful occasions. The Feast of Unleavened Bread followed the Passover and commemorated the exodus from Egypt, the time when God miraculously delivered the children of God from Egyptian bondage. The Feast of Harvest was a demonstration of personal and corporate gratitude to God for the grain he had provided through the harvest for food, nourishment, and livestock. I can relate to that because I'm a farm boy. I grew up on a farm in West Tennessee, and, and harvest time was a joyful time. The Feast of Tabernacles, or Booth, commenced after the Day of Atonement and offered thanksgiving for the consummation of the harvest season. During these feasts, ritual wedded reality and gave birth to joy and jubilation, to appreciation and thanksgiving, and to witnessing and worship. The text I read launches with these words, I was glad. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Gospel artist Ricky Dillard shares a similar sentiment 
In his popular song titled, Glad to Be in His Service, he begins with these words, I'm glad to be in his service one more time. I'm glad to be in his service one more time. And then he says this, for he didn't have to let me live. So I'm glad to be in his service one more time. I used to hear those old deacons pray back in Buchanan, Tennessee, where I grew up. They would pray, Lord, last night my bed wasn't my cooling board. <laughs> because we are all just one millisecond away from our lives being over. We, every breath we take, we ought to thank the Lord for his grace and goodness. One of our eight granddaughters, we have eight granddaughters, two grandsons. Oh my goodness, you don't know the rest of the story. <laughs> One of our eight granddaughters uh, recently celebrated her 13th birthday. I remember when she was a toddler and I was blessed to witness her taking her first step. She crawled to the wall near our dresser. She stood up, she balanced herself, took two steps forward and then she flopped on the floor. And then with a big smile and a loud shout, she clapped her hands together and she applauded. Unknowingly on that day, my granddaughter became my teacher. I thought that day, if a two-year-old could be so thankful for two small steps, let me say that again. If a two-year-old could be so thankful for two small steps, surely I could be thankful all the blessings that God had given to me. And worship is one place where I come to give God his applause. So if you were wearing a gratitude monitor this morning, what reading would it have? Low, medium, or high? I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be in the Lord's house one more time. Any glad folk in the house this morning? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad. Amen. There he is in this first move of the text. The character that encourages worship. The author says, I was glad. The next move of the text is not just the character that encourages worship, but the community that experiences worship. After launching this psalm with a personal declaration of joy, the author immediately resorts to the language of community. If you read too fast, you'll miss it. He says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It is no longer I or me, but they, us, and our. Because God's house, the church, the house of the Lord is more than bricks and mortar. It's more than floors and ceilings. It's more than rooms and rafters. We are a spiritual community. We are a spiritual family. One of the other songs of ascent in this section of the Psalter pays tribute to that when it writes or says, Behold how good and pleasant, Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren, and by inference, sistering, <laughs> to dwell together in unity. The language of community saturates this psalm 
In a later sentence, there is a reference to the tribes gathering in Jerusalem, which is a reference to the unity that characterized the combined or united kingdoms when all 12 tribes were unified under the leadership of one king. The house of the Lord is used here to describe the tabernacle that functioned as a worship center until Solomon built the temple. It was a place where God dwells. And wherever God dwells, there is community. I was thinking about sharing with you this morning. And Lord just put in my spirit to say that divinity and division from a biblical perspective can never occupy the same place at the same time. Divinity and division from a biblical perspective can never occupy the same place at the same time. God's a community, first of all, because God is one in essence, but three in community. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just as an aside, don't ever think God's going to get lonely if you don't show up and worship Him. During creation, for the first five days, God created by commandment alone. For five days, God said and things came into existence. But when we get to the sixth day, when God is going to create man and woman, it's not God said. The Bible says, and God said, let us. Not let there be, but let us make man. And by inference, woman in our own image, in our own likeness. So we're made in God's image and every one of us is an original and not a copy. And he's created us with minds to know him, hearts to love him and wills to obey him. And he's created us for relationship, not only with him, but one another. We are stronger together than we are apart. I'm so glad to be in this mega church this morning. Now, if a church growth consultant was sitting in the audience and hear me say that, they say he's tripping because a church is a mega church when it's a thousand members or more, but not what the Bible says. Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name. There he is in the midst of them. We're mega this morning because when we worship God, when we come into his presence, he comes alongside of us. You know, in this new post-pandemic normal, churches are experiencing, are experiencing today. The challenge we face is how do we experience authentic community and fulfilling fellowship while leveraging the possibilities that technology gives us through virtual space to extend our presence and to expand our influence. Bible still is true. We don't forsake the assemblies of ourselves together. There is something about coming together. I appreciate the accessibility that we have. Our ministry uses social media, but there is something about coming together as God's people and experiencing together the presence of the Lord. We don't want to be like the little boy who attended church one Sunday and that night he kneeled by his bedside and he prayed, his mother there next to him. 
Little boy prayed, Lord, we had a great time in church today. It would have been good if you had been there. There is also the confidence that elevates worship. The last stanza says, Our feet shall stand in thy gates, O Jerusalem. In the first two movements of our text, we see character and we see community, but here's the confidence that's more implicit in the text than explicit, but it's a confidence that elevates our worship. The reason I love the King James Version of this text is in the final movement in stanza two, we have the word shall. Our feet shall stand in thy gates, O Jerusalem. So there is in the King James translation, a forward focus, a futuristic focus. I mentioned to you earlier in my message about my trip with 37 other pastors to Israel in 2016. As our vehicles ascended, driving up to the city of Jerusalem, my heart was glad. And so we were driving up to Jerusalem and I was thinking of this psalm. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I remember being with our group and praying at the wailing wall and and praying for the salvation of Israel. And with my own eyes, I, I saw the Islamic mosque with its golden dome occupying the place where the temple once stood. But something in my spirit stirred a confidence that elevated my experience of worship. Not knowing how, not knowing when, not knowing where. There was this conviction that what I was witnessing was not what shall be. Bible expositor, the late Dr. J. Vernon McGee, believes that this psalm we share with you today is a prophecy, a millennial wonder through which we can view the time when all of God's people, all of God's people, will one day gather in Jerusalem to worship and to be in the presence of the King of Kings. I know I have a witness up in here. And the Lord of Lords. The New Testament bear witness of this prospect consummating in the book of Revelation in a marvelous and magnificent vision of the heavenly Jerusalem. A city where all strife is over. A city where all threats have subsided. A city where there is no malice and no hatred. A city where all God's people are one. A city where suffering has ended. Oh, can I make it a little more real to you? A city where there's no more hospitals. A city where there's no more carjackings. A city where there's no more drive-by shootings. A city where there's no more malpractice. Do we have a witness here? John saw this city. He saw it. And one day we will too. He wrote about it in, in Revelation 21. John the Apostle. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no more sea. And he says, I heard a loud voice from heaven. Saying, behold, the tabernacle of God 
is now with men. And I love this part of it. He said, he shall wipe. He said, he shall wipe. He shall wipe away every tears from your eyes. And there shall be no more death. There shall be no more crying. There shall be no more sorrow. There shall be no more pain. For all the former things have passed away. I hit the big seven zero on Christmas Day. Oh, look pretty good for seven, don't you? <laughs> pretty sprite for seven. But, but I'm telling you, my best days, my best days are not behind me. My best days in front of me because eyes have not seen, ears have not heard what the Lord had prepared for those that love him. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord because this is just an appetizer of what God has planned for us. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.